Well, there you go, folks. It's Radio FM Made Out Australia. We're broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia. Now, um, you'll probably realise that um, there's only the two, our guest and myself. And that's purely because our good friend, Andrina, she's uh, crook in bed and um, just, just can't get out of bed this morning. So uh, it's not as if she's got mum around to come with chicken soup and give her a glucose hit with barley sugar or a cup of tea. So um, we hope that she's watching the show and we give her the thumbs up and all the best for next week. So in the meantime, as you can see, we've got this lady and she's coming from Australia, would you believe? Um, and if you're going to be participating in the show, just become aware that this whole show is directed to women in mining. That's right. So many of you have probably thought about you know, getting into the mining industry. And uh, but sometimes you just need a little guiding hand as to what's involved. And uh, I came across Julie uh, on the Sunshine Coast, and it was a Sunday morning gathering. And when she told me what she did, I just I just knew instinctively and intuitively. Listen, um, I'm sure there's a lot of ladies who are watching the show, not only in Australia and New Zealand and, and North America, but in the UK and Europe. Who are thinking, oh my God, I've got to listen to the story. And that's exactly why we've got Julie on to today and um and so it's heartfelt thanks for julie welcome to the show julie thank you right so um five foot two little blonde chick and i'm saying to you you're working in the mines and you say yep i'm driving trucks and i'm being a smart ass fella saying well, I know when we were young, we had these trikes and our feet couldn't reach the pedals. So dad made these blocks and put them onto the, the pedals so he could reach the, the pedals to turn them around. And I used that as a reference and you said to me, no problem. These, um, these big articulated trucks, these big dump trucks, they are configured. And um, in fact, if anything, they're more of a problem for you guys. <laughs> and so that's the start of the laughter. And that sort of got us to the point hey, let's have you on the radio show. Let's have a discussion. So um, without further ado, um, tell me, um, we've got on our little promo that you got into the mining industry in 2007. So and let's, let's hear the backstory. Yeah, that's correct. And actually, the shorter you are, the better off you are because the taller you are, you have more chance of topping out on the top of the cab. So long as you can reach the truck to unisolate it, shorter the better. <laughs> right so at the time you're um well start to start again you obviously come from victoria yeah uh yes obviously born and educated in victoria but moved up to queensland and then when um, my daughter went off to university uh, i thought well it's my time now to go and do what i really need to do and so i jumped in the car from noosa back in 2007 Drove up to Townsville, Townsville, and uh, and then straight out to Mount Isa. Right. So um, let's bring up the map so we can um, have a look to show our viewers what we're talking about. So um, obviously we're in Brisbane, they're just north of Brisbane, the Sunshine Coast, and you ended up going up here to Mount Isa. So um, yeah, that's right. I had a wonderful uh, yeah, no. yeah. Thank goodness to um, Joan Armour Trading on the cassette player uh, got me out there just before the wet season set in. So a good uh, chartered accountant friend of mine who's a Mount Isa boy, 
he said, well, if you're going um, to Mount Isa, Julie, I've got a block of units there and you can stay in the back one. I don't want anything for it, but you may have to go and collect some rent from three front units for me. I said, no worries, done deal. So that was a really good start. And then I just went to the um, local training centres and I got onto Krauss training up there at the time and had to do all my inductions for as, you know, a part of it. Um, and then I just pretty much went to the local pub and got chatting with a local and um, he said, all right, well, if you're interested, send me your CV. Um, a week later, I got the call saying, he, how do you feel about driving underground? And I said, well, if it's being done, I can do it. <laughs> so um, that led me to start at an underground mine, which was about a two and a half, nearly a three hour drive south, southwest of Mount Isa. Yeah, got there, beautiful countryside, and straight into more inductions on site, get settled in the Donger, which is your accommodation. <laughs> and um, and then an introduction to your truck, really. And, uh, oh, they take you underground, you know, for a drive, to see if you panic or not. But then basically, here's your truck. So that's a picture of Mount Isa, M-I-M mine. Um, so, yeah, basically familiarisation with the truck, three laps up the top. Here's your park brake. Here's your tub up, tub out, tub down. And um, you've got all your emergency head system on you. Uh, you're carrying about 12 and a half kilos, I'd say, on your hips and your big cap lamp on your helmet. And then, um, so three laps above the ground down the hole, which is the portal. <laughs> which is a one-way road, which goes down to about, oh, I think it was about 18, 90 metres, that one, or 1850, 1750, that one, metres underground. And it's a one-way track. So you've really got to be listening to two-way because any trucks going down have to give way to loaded trucks coming up. So POSCOMS is, is essential. Anyway, yeah. And so what type of truck were you driving then to go down? Oh, I had a Toro, the first one. It was had a new paint job, so that was a bit dangerous because, you know, usually the first one to scratch the paint and that way they can see if you scrape the wall as you're going down. So usually if the tub hits, hits the wall, you know, the, the, the backs and the shoulders and the walls of the uh port you know the the portal going down um sparks will fly because you can see in your rear camera you don't have side mirrors because they're not going to last so anyway it was a toro 50 renowned for blowing hoses yeah 50 ton truck something like this is this what we're talking about here um just Is that the one we're talking about? Oh, no, that looks like a cat truck. Um, a Toro is a bit older than that, but basically, yeah, it's like that. It's, a, yeah, articulated, so. 
you back it up like you back a trailer when you're dropping off a jet ski. Okay, okay, I'm hearing you. And that takes 50 tonne, yeah? Yes. There yeah, but two and a half buckets off it. So um, your first trip is three to, for three laps around the outside and then down you go. Yeah, pretty much the trainer said, oh, three laps above ground and then you're down the hole. So <laughs> that's what it was like. you go 1,850 metres down. Yeah, yeah, okay. So um, Mount Isa Mines is well known for producing, what, copper, iron, lead, uh, nickel, isn't it? Um, I never actually worked underground in Mount Isa. I was sort of south of Mount Isa at a mine, a BHP mine. Right. Um, so mainly, I believe, um, copper at Mount Isa. Yeah, I only did surface work at Mount Isa, sort of right. civil service work. Okay. Polly so, so generally speaking, you drove up from Brisbane up to Mount Isa and you just had your normal everyday car license and then they basically gave you the the ability to go and drive a heavy duty vehicle and see if you could drive through the gears and is that how it went? Okay. Well, Initially, um, it was only WA back in 2007 that you needed a heavy rigid. Um, that's one of the reasons why I chose to go to Mount Isa because I realised, I did the research through the Mines Resource Centre, Mines and Mineral, and I discovered there's just as many holes in the ground in Mount Isa as there are in WA. And in WA back in 2007, they actually wanted you to have a HR but in Mount Isa. They didn't, so I thought, oh, well, that's easy. I'll just go to Mount Isa. I don't have to go so far. Um, because once you're driving on their lease, yeah, you, you don't, you just drive on their lease. You're basically on a private property and that's how it works. Because um, the only reason I'm saying that is um, my dad was a quarry manager and um, I did, um, what do you call it? Um, used to go off and work in the um, school holidays. And so, one of those, or a couple of years there, I was driving um, a dump truck, and I was probably 16 or 17 at the time. I mean, you could get a license in um, New Zealand at 15. So um, it was just, you know, five on the floor and then come to a stop and then up goes the, the tipper and into the hopper. So, um, yeah, when you were talking to me back in November, I thought, oh, yeah, I understand where you're coming from and what you're doing, but these are big boys' toys, eh? You know, that. <coughs> I mean, I remember those days and having Tonka toys and you got your mates in the sandpit and one's got the biggie excavator and one's got the dump trucks, you know. <laughs> you're, well, in the, you're in the big sandpit, aren't you? Well, yes. I mean, they're big girls' toys too. Okay. I'll take that back. <laughs> so um, let's have a look at some of those trucks that you've actually ended up um, driving, shall we? Because that was pretty impressive. So, um, was it the caterpillars? Do we go through the caterpillars first? Whichever you choose. Uh, okay, let's go with the caterpillars. And, and um, what have we got here? The um, 793. 
Right. So um, this one takes, what, 250 tonne? Is that right? Am I... Uh, no, that one's about, uh, uh, that's a 793, so that's about a, uh, you could probably um, get tutored off at about 180 for that, or okay. the best payload would be 203, between 203, 205. All right. And do you have um, scales on the truck to let you know, or is the, the operator who's got the, um, the front end loaders sees it gets to a certain level and realises it cuts off? Well, see, that truck, you wouldn't be uh, perhaps getting really loaded. It'll load it. More so, you'd be getting loaded by a digger that's sitting on a bench. So um, they usually just dig blind if they don't care or sometimes if the truck, uh, you, you know, instruments are working inside the truck, you will have a correct payload coming up so you can see which every bucket is, you know, what your payload is after every bucket. Um, it's up to the operator to be responsible and, um you know, let the digger up. So I'm right with that on 203, four truck, 793. Okay, off you go, you know, because you need a good payload. There's no point driving off with half a load. Yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um... now that, that's a nice truck. See, that's a 793 as well, um, but that's got a different tub. That's got a nice heavy tub where the one you showed previously has what they call a throwaway tub which is a lighter weight tub. So it actually, um, it's more comfortable for square, heavier tubs. It's a better ride on the operator. Mm. Okay. And um, how big's the fuel tank on these? Oh, well, well, I don't know. I just really plug it up and fuel it up and it switches off when it's full. Um, Probably two forty liters, if that sounds right. Bit technical there, Jeff. Two hundred forty liters, yeah. Okay. And then um, you moved into the trucks, and you well, actually, we come off that one because you drove um, those um, lever hairs, isn't it? Oh, the Liebers. Well, actually, here's one here I really like because this is one you were driving, isn't it? So I love that one. <laughs> Now, this one was at my favourite site. This is a Kibatsu 785. Uh, this was um, at Phosphate Hill. Um, where I'd long to work again back there. I've still got a mate out there. Um, and that was in the wet. So those trucks were already like 58 years old or 50 years old. And that was about 2012. So, yeah, and now we'd get bogged there you know like sometimes the truck would come to a stop but the does would just come and nudge you out that really doesn't happen anymore they don't really like contact to contact they'll 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 hook up straps and tow you out all right um okay so what's the next one uh we've got the lever one don't we okay let's see here we go yeah so that's the mechanical truck Totally different to all the, sorry, that's an electric truck, um, totally different to uh, the mechanicals. So <clears throat> you really got to think four times ahead to pull this truck up because, you know, it doesn't stop on a postage stamp like the Caterpillars. Right. 
so it's a, it's a so each mine site do they have um a plethora of different makes and models or they just stick with one particular model no well interesting um it has been said before um you know interesting that they run electric trucks with cats you know ideally you'd want to keep them separated but thank goodness you've got good operators so um they have they run them together usually any mine site will run well either two different lots of truck or just stick to the one yeah because i think um in my dad's uh, facilities they just stick with one um brain because it was interchangeable with parts yeah but um i oh, think people well, need to get an idea which is yeah yeah um that just gives it a real strong impression about how big these units are um i mean you came up to basic to the axle don't you oh yes and we uh, sometimes we have to service our own trucks and what i mean by that is particularly in the underground 50 ton trucks uh you'd come up from underground once a day and you would fill her up and you would top up all your levels um like your hydraulic fluid and and then you'd have to blow out your filters so you give it a quick 20 minute service put a truck all back together again and back down the hole <laughs> right so um where we going now uh get an underground shot uh, okay this one looks really good too um uh. Is this um, at the? Is it um, in a site that's continually being used? Like you've already gone through it months or years in advance, or is this coming close to the coal face? Or, you know, the mine face. No, that would be that'd be very close to the coal face because it looks like it's actually shotcrete on the backs, the, the shoulders, and the backs, the backs to yeah. the top of yeah. the tunnel, and the shoulders are obviously where the, you'd think the shoulders would be. Yeah. And you got the toe down the bottom where your cursor just was. So that looks like a development area, definitely. You've got some services there, cables, these cables up the top, which you really don't want to knock down. You got electrical nice. cables. And what about but, um, yeah. oxygenating and ventilating? How does that all work? Oh. Uh, well, they've got uh, vent bags which actually hang up from the back, um, running, running um, air down. So that's all part of um, maintaining, you know, airflow down the shaft. But also, I mean, I, I was hauling out. I just got loaded in the underground truck, and I'm heading out of the little cutty where I got loaded. Um. And I had a rock bolt poking out of my tub, which was going to rip down the vent bags, which there was only about, I don't know, three or four feet between the top of my load and the vent bag. So I called up the two-way truck so-and-so, holding on the decline, out of the cab, removing a hazard from the vent bag sort of thing. Um, so I pulled up. And I had to get out my truck and climb into the tub on the oar and then just, um, yeah, pull down this big metre rock bolt 
and tuck it in under my load um, in order not to, or in order for me to travel up the, I think it was about a 35 minute slow ride up to the top to jump. But yeah, just got to be mindful of those little things that can happen. Yeah, sure. if you can fix it. So well, you mentioned there 35 minutes just to crawl all the way up. Yeah, you're doing about eight k's up, loaded. If you turn the aircon off in your cab, you could probably get another 200 revs per minute out of it. But the boys were doing it; they're just, you know, they're all competitive. <laughs> I'd just rather cruise on up and eat my banana and drink my water. Yeah, I have heard a lot of um, stories come out of the mines um, due to the nature of my business, where um, there's a lot of respect for female truck drivers because they go easy on the machinery. That's yeah, I hear I've heard that a lot too. But really, I think when I first got there, like they didn't even have a female toilet underground, right? I, I was the only chick on my crew. Um, there was only one chick on every crew. There was no female toilet. You know, no biggie. But um, I've heard that women but we can be rough in the year too i mean you know you can give it to it <laughs> when the right opportunity arises yeah you can give it to it basically it's all unisex toilets anyway you see that now in the um the council parks now yeah only the one underground you really want to want to go in there oh is that right okay mm. <laughs> Did you ever, you ever get given a she wee or anything like that? Oh, my daughter actually gave me one, actually. Yeah. She was, yeah. Anyway, I won't go into that story, but Melody did offer, but no, I just, uh, I haven't used it. Yeah, I see them I've in got uh, a very, Yeah, no. You go. I've got a very, I, I, I can, I can control. <laughs> yeah. So, um, because you see them in uh, BCF in Australia, you know, boating, camping, and fishing. They have the. Um, yeah, I never looked. For camping, yeah. Um, okay, so let's uh, move on to the um, this next photo. Um, this is accommodation. So for anyone joining the mines, um, obviously accommodation plays a very important part. Um, so um, these, you see them almost like ATCO at uh, dwellings. Um, Basically, they just might have a shower and a, a little vanity unit, and then a, a one more, yeah, one bed, one um, what would you call it, uh, cupboard, for hanging space, and then um, basically a bed, isn't it? So you can tell me. Yes, well, that's that's perhaps not the best example, um, but that was perhaps my my second mine. Um, I remember they didn't even have an ensuite in there, so the toilets were right down the end and the shower right down the end. So that's a pretty, pretty hard up uh, accommodation there. If I arrived to that today, I'd probably turn around and go. Home. <laughs> no, I understand. I understand. Accommodation yeah. play, plays a really big part. Yeah, because yeah, um, I remember you explaining to me that um, in there uh, more, would you say the the gold fields, they're more accommodating with the fact they give you permanent um, rooms so that when you come and do your 14 days on and seven days off, um, you've got an actual permanent room. So when you come back, 
you know, you've got um, aspects that are in your room that, you know, you don't have to bring a big, huge bag and you can travel in from the mine site home and home back to the mine site. So um, that, that's probably something that you relish and everybody else would relish. Oh, indeed. Uh, I just found that in north central Queensland and over in the west, they do it best um, compared to the coal. People in coal, it's a whole different culture. Um, yeah, the west, I, I never got a permanent room in the coal, um, but certainly in north central Queensland and over the west, yeah, it was just good. They do it best. Really helps. Yeah, because I, I was talking to you um, this morning and I said, you know, one of the um, the prime features of, in rugby league terms, the Brisbane Broncos, when they first entered the rugby league competition, um, they knew that they're the only team in Queensland, but they'd be playing every fortnight down in Sydney. Mm -hmm. So um, they chose to get um, accommodation in Bondi Beach, or just out of Bondi, and that became their permanent home every fortnight. So the boys had something that was consistent, provided them with stability, they've got home-cooked meals, um, and that that's, plays a very important part. So what I'm referring to now is that by having a permanent accommodation and you know that you're coming home, and that's basically what it is, a second home, um, it offers um, another aspect of mental health because mental health is a major issue in the mining industry, isn't it? Yeah, oh, yes, it is. Um it's just one less thing you have to worry about, <clears throat> excuse me, if you do have that permanent accommodation there. Uh, particularly when you're doing a two-week, you know, a two-week on, one-week off, you're spending more than half your life there. Um, and it is also legislated that any camp accommodation, remote camp accommodation, um, mining accommodation, living away from home accommodation, it is legislated that they must reflect middle-class living middle-class standard. <clears throat> I did not see that in coal whatsoever. It was horrendous, actually. Pitiful. Where is it? In the coal. The coal industry. Right. No, okay. in, in the coal, you know, like all the eastern seaboard coal yeah. industry, yeah. So um, let's talk about mental health because one of the things that you told me is that when you do those um, 14 days, you do 12 and a half hour shifts and that can be when you first arrive can be the day shift and then the second week would be the night shift. Is that how it goes? I, I just can't recall now. Yes, yes. So um, uh, it adds up to about 87 and a half hours a week. Um, so up at three, I'd get up at 3.40, maybe 3.50 for a sleep in. Three, say 3.40 every day. Um breakfast, be waiting for the bus by 20 past five, get to site just before six, have your morning meeting to see what's going on in the pit that day or any incidents that have happened overnight. And you just get up, go to work, go back to your room. Uh, I'd have all my clothes sort of set out ready for the next day and snacks packed and everything. And then you get up and do it all again. It's just like Groundhog Day, really. Um, I just found it very useful not to count days. So ignorance was bliss. Don't count days. Just get up and do it, get up and do it again, again, again. And then you've got change overnight, which is usually quite good. 
at least it's an opportunity to rebuild that culture on your crew and maybe have one or two beers and and you get to sleep for 14 hours and then you get a chance to go to the gym and then you're all powered up for another week, you know, and then you, you do a week of days. Um, so um, it is... It is good for your mental health to maintain a routine, to keep in your own little positive bubble. Yep. Uh, I listen to 528 frequency music, you know, like just to create my perfect bubble. I don't listen to gossip. I don't get involved in politics. I keep my opinions to myself unless it's a safety opinion or it really needs to be said, you know, and then you choose who you say it to. Um, it's good to get along with everyone because sometimes you just need a little bit of support and it just builds team morale for everyone. If you can just keep a positive vibe, you know. Right. So um, the, um, the mine provides all meals, I take it, and they do your laundry for you? Nah, they don't do laundry for you unless, <laughs> unless you're underground, Cannington, they do their laundry for us. Um, because you've got lead contamination on your clothes. So you get out of your truck, you go to the shower block and they give you a big washing bag and you put your your dirty clothes in there, you have a shower and it's cold. It can get really cold in Mount Island, South Hall, um, you know, cold or hot. And um, then you take fresh clothes and put them on and get on the bus, go back to camp. And they do your washing there, yeah, because there's a lead, contamina lead contamination in that one. Right. Otherwise, you've got to have a washing. Yeah. What? Otherwise, you've got to organise um, a washing night. You just find your own routine, um, and it's good to stick to that routine. You probably get four or five sets of clothes, so you want to wash every four four days or something. Right. Mm. And so, um, and the meals. How is that all? How is that staggered over the twenty four hours? Is it? Well, the mess is open um, certain hours, so you've got to be there, grab your food, or eat in there if in between certain hours if you want to eat, yeah. So it's open after work it's, and in the morning, and it's a great 24-hour system. It just keeps rolling over. So the people who come off night shift, you know, they will come into the mess after We've gone in there for dinner to go out to work. Yeah, it's just a 24-hour continuous rollover. So you could be coming home from a midnight shift to have virtually have breakfast and uh, having dinner. Well, I wouldn't be coming home. To, yeah, I wouldn't be coming back to camp until uh, 6.30 in the morning, leaving site at 6, say, get back to camp at 6.30. So I'd go in the mess 6.30 in the morning. To get breakfast or dinner, right? But I would often keep, um, if you're lucky, you get a kettle in your room, and then you get like packets of um, porridge, you know, yeah. and you can just have porridge, and at least you got something in your belly to sleep, or at least you got something in your belly before work, and you can even make porridge in a paper cup and just add hot water. Um, which keeps you going. So all the dongas, they're all um, sing single 
um, single rooms? There's no um, bunk rooms or anything like that? No, I think I think some sites they actually allow for couples, but honestly, who can be bothered? You know, <laughs> I mean, you're so tired. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, mostly single. Yeah. Now you mentioned um, before water. Um, you when you're driving the trucks, obviously you're in air conditioned. You know, that's correct, isn't it? If you're driving air conditioned trucks, yeah. And um, yeah. you take your and you're taking um, your your own water and rather than using the mine site water, yeah? Oh, yeah. Um, I pride myself I've never drank mine site water. Uh, if I went to Mount Isa, I'd get onto their water company up there in Mount Isa and I'd, they'd normally uh, have a bulk supply in stores. I just find some way of buying my own Mount Franklin spring water or or get it from the bulk stores delivered to my room um anything not to do not to drink mine site water because it's full of it's full of um what is it chlorine fluoride excuse me and that's another aspect of your mental health you, you've got to make sure that you know your whole physical body is both mentally emotionally and physically um in alignment with one another and hence the reason you've mentioned how you create your own bubble you're using 528 music frequency um, and you've been in the mine since 2007 so um, what's the life expectancy oh, I shouldn't say life expectancy what's a job expectancy uh, for most people um, when they go there do they work three years just get a lot of money and move on or are they have there been people like you who've been able to last a distance how does that work oh certainly well it's a mixing pot out there you know you've got guys who started off as an operator and then they'll work their way up to senior management and and you know they've been there for 15 20 years so and then there's young people who they want to go for five years and they'll have a goal and um reach that goal and happy with that and go um you got people who go and they just don't cut it it's all about self-management so the big word is self-management. You have to manage your mental health, you know, physical health, your hydration, your organisation. You have to be very organised and um, self-management, really. Now, I've always is been aware. That? Sorry. Mount Isa Mines, as Upper Mount Isa, was well known for a place to, to go and get a work but so too was weeper for its books site. they were the two major places in um, queensland that i recall but um there's also a lot of um feedback coming back where single men um were topping themselves off is that still the current case in the mine sites where um fellas just get to a point and then they top themselves off Okay, well, um, recently in the coal, um, guy, you know, was found dead in his donger because simply he had a stroke. So it gets very hot. Um, people get very dehydrated because they're not drinking, even though they're in aircon. You don't realize how the body dehydrates in aircon. And then you go back to your room and you, he might have had too many drinks. He might have had high blood pressure already. He might have had poor health already. And and he might have had stress and and he probably 
yeah, he just had a stroke. So that happens often. Well, it happens. No, I wouldn't say often. Um, and then during COVID, oh, yeah, it was really tough. Um, over in the Pilbara, we were all stuck there basically for three years. There were people there stuck and depressed, not being able to get home to New Zealand or anywhere. Um, so, yeah, it was there was a few, you know, a fatality over there. It's, you'd hear it occasionally, yeah. Right. So I just brought up the map of um, of Northern Western Australia, which is um, around Mount Tom Price, Newman. Um, we've got the Hamsley Ranges here. Um, this has been a well-known place for the iron ore industry um, and the likes of the, the big four miners there, which is um, BHP, Rio Tinto, Fortescue and um, Hancock Prosperity. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting uh, colour that um, one sees when they start moving into the, the outback of Australia. And um, and then you look at from Perth and you want to go out to you know, King Kalgoorlie to the, the golf fields. I mean, um, it, it's quite a diverse place that we're talking about here in Australia, isn't it? It is indeed. And the people are diverse as well. Like the Mount Isa people are wonderful to work with. I just love it. Like I love the the northwest Queensland characters. And then you go to Perth, the gold fields, it's it's environmental and the people are um well, they're very straight in Perth. <laughs> um they're not as wild as um northwest Queensland and and up in the Pilbara, they're another breed again, and it's another climate. Um, and the dirt's different. I pretty much can look at dirt anywhere over Australia and and talk to anyone, in, and I can tell where they live, uh, what state or territory they spent most of their time in. It's It's been a great way to get to know this country, I'll tell you, and the people. So, you know, when you start looking, well, this is Mount Tom Price mine. Um, I mean, you just don't realise what scale these mines are focused on, isn't it? So, um, the moment I saw that, Jeff, I realised I hadn't been to that one because I've not eyeballed that one. So it's not one of mine. Yeah. Um, I have been, I have been to, I think, 12 mine sites in 17 years and, and three of, you know, like actually five of those were company transfers. So two Rio Tinto sites, three McMahon sites, if I can mention names. And, yeah, they were five of the 12. Now, um, what was really um, impressive to me is that when you said that you're um, caught up in Western Australia because of the COVID situation there and... Um, and most of your workmates were interstate or overseas, and they couldn't get in there. The um, the company you work for um, put out a notice and asked for um, people to change jobs and see if they wanted to take the opportunity. And, and you took the opportunity of, am I correct in saying you want to be a, a powder monkey? You're at the at the face of the, the mine underground there, drilling in and then lighting up the dynamite, 
if you use dynamite these days and wiring it up and then coming back to the old um, little Acme little thing that you see in um, Coyote, <laughs> Roadrunner type cartoons. Is, is that what you were doing? Well, um, yeah, I don't mind the term powder monkey. Um, but it was more like in a morning meeting, um, the chief boss said, okay, this is a situation. We need a few volunteers to step off the trucks and come over to Blast Crew. So three women put their hands up, um, two younger ones and myself, and, um, and they only took me on. <laughs> I don't know whether they wanted me to crash and burn, but you see... Um, it was pretty much a three-day training um, and you're holding a booster. Okay, this is what blows up the ground and I'm holding it, right? And I'm thinking, well, am I okay if I drop it? And then you've got to learn, well, it's it's not, nothing's going to happen to it until it's all wired up. Yeah. So, you know, you've got a car full of boosters, you've got a car full of wires and there's a whole process anyway, doing the whole process process throwing these you got to put a a wire on the booster and get it down the hole then you've got to back it up with ampho then you've got to backfill it with some little stones and um and then tie the whole shot in and then someone sits up on the bank and presses the button and goes kaboom yeah <laughs> and then we let me see coyote <laughs> Uh, it's just wonderful feeling being close to a blast and feeling the reverberation come off. It is a blast. Yeah. Right? Okay. But it was hot up in the Pilbara. Yeah, I remember I had a camel back on my back and I'd be drinking that camel back all day, but I wouldn't be going to the toilet. It would just be sweating out of me. It was, it was hot. Is that right? So um, I just want to let people know, this is... This is not at the gold fields. This is up in the, in the Pilbara and the Iron Ore, is that right? Yes. Yeah, the so Pilbara would open, fly. That's an open yeah, that's open cast, yeah? Yes, indeed. Open cut. Open cut. Okay. Right. Yeah, this so is back, back in the day. Sorry, this was back in the day when, you know, Rio Tinto blew up the um, sacred sites. Oh, okay. Right. But it wasn't, it wasn't my shot. It wasn't. So um, if I was um, someone listening to the show, no matter where you are in the world, um, knowing hmm. what you know, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to any intending person to head for the mines and, and what type of role or, or knowledge would they best off having to apply for a job? All right. Well, I think a lot of people are deterred because they think there's a lot of rigmarole to go through. You know, um, there's a lot of jump, hoops to jump through. Um, persist or just drive out to Mount Isa and go to the pub and get a job. You know, just go talk to people. I think if you go out on a limb, you greatly repay. You know, I went out on a limb. I went out there with like $500 to my name and a new set of tires and um, well, it was fortunate I had accommodation and uh, fortunate that a good friend gave me that and um, 
I think if you go out on a limb and you're prepared to jump through the hoops and do the paperwork, just you'll never look back. Well, you'll look back and you'll go, wow, what a life I've led. What a great time because you do have great times. Hey, so um, an aspect there is the next question is how much tax do you end up paying? Oh, yeah. This, this thought, you know, oh, you've been in mining for 70 years or, you know, you must be loaded. It, it annoys me because I think I was on about 135 when I first started in 2007. I, it was all too much for me to add up. I remember thinking one day, oh, I'm not getting out of bed for any less than $325 a day. But come tax time, I mean... On a, probably wages have gone down in mining, you know, over the years. Um, so in open cut, you know, probably get 115, but you pay 35 grand tax in, you know. So really you're just above the pogo line still. And it's expensive. Some sites you've got to get flights and pay for parking in Brisbane. And you do without a lot, really. Just to stop there for a sec. So just like any other job, a, a person's got to find their own way to work. And so are you placed in that same position where you've got to um, find your own way from where you are in the Sunshine Coast? You've got to pay for your own airfares to get to the, the job site, which you could be going from flying from Brisbane to Perth and taking another flight to go up to um, the Pilbara up in the Western Australia or be going oh, from look, Brisbane to the Mount Island. Yeah. You'd have to be a sucker if if you fell for that one. Um, I got hired by Rio Tinto from Melbourne, and my flights were all paid for. I mean, I just wouldn't 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 sign up for that gig, you know. And but a lot of people do pay their own way to get to work. Um, not very often. If you, if you do a drive-in, drive-out, like if you drive from the sunny coast to <clears throat> Maura, which is out near Theodore, it's probably a five-hour drive. Yeah, certainly you've got to get yourself there. And that's exhausting, that drive-in, drive-out. I wouldn't do it again. True. So um, when we talked about Mount Isa, um, it, was one of the, it was the largest mining company in Queensland, but um, and then um, a Swiss-based company called Glencore, which is the largest mining company in the world, uh, they came and bought it. So um, my understanding is um, Glencore has made an announcement they were shutting down the mine in 2025. So Mount Isa Mines actually facilitated a community to come together, so housing, the school, the hospital, Woolworths, Coles, football, um, Irish club, all these amenities all came, whereas um, mines that came in afterwards it was just fly and fly out because then the mining sites didn't have to go and put all the infrastructure in because they might have a, um, a short lifespan on the mine. So um, how much of an impact do you think would Glencore have now that they're going to be pulling out of Mount Isa? What's your thoughts on that? Well, I haven't... Sorry, I haven't given it much thought or consideration, but <clears throat> the infrastructure at Mount Isa is huge and there's so many holes around there in the ground. Um, they'll find a use for it. They'll go in and reclaim a different grade maybe. 
Um, they've probably got a lot of work to do before they shut that site, a lot of rehab, you know, because they've got to <clears throat> they've got to leave it in a certain um, shape and form, you know, some sort of rehabilitation. But there's so many holes, there's so many mines in Mount Isa, Mount Isa will keep going. All right. They'll find another so, so when we go to uh, Cooper Pedy, I mean, everybody lives underground and people go there on a bit of a, a nomad tour around Australia and they will stop there and there's America Bay um, um, satellite, not, not satellite, America Observatory. So people go out there to study the stars and that stuff. But everything's underground and they've got all those B&Bs and uh, Airbnbs. You think um, there's a possibility that Mount Isa mines itself um, somebody from overseas or whoever would invest in it and set up an underground um, civilization hotel complex with all those different levels? Uh, I, I, I don't think so. I wouldn't go stay there if they did <laughs> because the, the ground's pretty much like honeycomb out there, I think. It's, it's like, sorry, what's the ground is like what? Pretty much honeycomb. Oh, right, okay, yeah, right. Honey, okay, uh, just honeycomb, yeah. honeycomb, little shafts everywhere. It's like, uh, just backfill oh. it, fill it up. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll fill it up with thought. water, make an underground reservoir, yeah. Oh, no, no, just sort it out. You know, you never, never know. This sort of being dug, um, you know, future-proof it. Um, right, what's the next thing? Okay, so we talked about pay. Okay, so um, you're working 14 days. And then you've got seven days off. Now, the people listening about joining the mining industry, so you finish your shift on your last day and then you then um, make your repatriations to then get home. And so is that a whole day to get back home? Oh, yes. Yeah, pretty much. It's the best of the day. And usually on the last day, I've already got written a little notebook things I have to do on my week off and it's all prioritised. So you've got to be just as organised on your week off um, to pay your bills, have your dentist appointments, see your doctor, have a, a social event, rest, extra rest, build up your sleep bank, mow the lawn and then pack your bag and go to the airport again, do it all again. For two weeks. So your seven days, you're telling me the first day of your so-called seven days off is travel, and you're telling me that on the seventh day, that's another travel day. So you now got five days in order to get rest, sleep, get your biorhythms, get going, go and do all the stuff you just spoke about. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I never really counted the days because my, my body was in such a rhythm uh, and I was in such a routine, if I was allowed to follow that routine, which most of the time I made sure of, my I just knew it was time to go and everything just fell into place like clockwork. So I think it was six or seven days. It was only six days we had off, I think, most of the time. Right. Right. So, um, so I'm listening to the show and I'm thinking, okay, if, uh, is it more beneficial for me to... <clears throat> make sure that I live close to the mine site. So if I'm flying, fly in, fly out, as long as I'm close to an airport that's going to have um, a direct flight to the mine, I'm better off or I'm going to be close for a drive and the drive out 
so really you've got to factor that in but the next question you've got to ask yourself is just working in the mines really for a single person rather than someone who's um cohabitating with you know with a partner and or married because it seems like there's a lot of stress and a lot of other and that contributes to mental illness as well because you're not there in at home all the time you're just bringing in the money and then you you're going to sleep and you're trying to get back your whole body and so of that three days out of out of 21 you know you're really spending some time with your your partner if that well a couple of good questions there jeff um yeah living close to the mine site um yes it definitely helps definitely helps and the trend now is to hire local where the trend comes and goes, FIFO workers are better because they're there for the week or the two weeks, they stay, they do the job and go. Where people, the trend now is to hire locally, um, but then there's a less turn-up rate, if that makes any sense, because people know, oh, I live nearby, I'm getting extra money, I just can't be bothered today. But the current trend is hire local, so yes, it, it probably would pay to to live close uh, if you can sacrifice that. Um, now, secondly, it, I think mining's you need a bit of young blood in the industry. It's it's really tough on fathers with young kids, you know, because they're out there whinging, um, I'm missing my baby. <laughs> um, so I. I really like to see a lot of people in mining who are, who are there this age who are topping up our super funds. Um, and then, of course, you get the, a bit of new young blood in there because you've got to teach the skills there, you know, for, for, to keep things going. Um, and it is it is hard on marriages, definitely. It, and if you're single, well, I've really been single for the bulk of it and I don't think I could have done it if I had a partner because I'm too tired to talk to anyone at the end of the day. Yeah, hearing. <laughs> uh, so um, let's ask ourselves, why do we have a mining industry? And um, one of the things I did when I was doing a backstory to this was um, Mount Isa Mines being the, the first, you know, real major mine site. And um, there's copper. And um, we don't realise just how important the mineral industry is to our current consumerism on this planet. So, um, and we just have a look at that, just, you know, to see how it's involved in the radios and TVs and <clears throat> just in electronics itself. Um, and then we move across into to silver. I mean, um, who would who would know who would have thought it was involved in electric vehicles or it's in our mobile phones you know we've always been aware of it's in coins and and uh, jewelry but solar panels I mean, yes yeah and we are moving. out there ripping up the earth you know it looks like we are out there ripping up the earth and leaving big holes in the ground and and while i've been out there it's been my mission to actually send love back to the universe, to love back to that Mother Earth, actually, you know. And and I've often classed myself as being a greenie when I was a young girl. Like, my family thought I'd be the one chaining myself to the dozer for the Mount Franklin thing because <laughs> I'm a tree hugger. Um, so when I was out there, I was just giving love back to this 
these places really and I guess that's how I'd console myself about the guilt of ripping it up but it is essential and I have seen um, rehabilitated land out there um, rolling hills with grass and trees on it yeah it goes back pretty well so um, you know when we start looking at our lifestyle and we realize just how important uh, the mining industry is to um, aspects of our everyday life um, so then uh, the more I looked into it the more I realized you know how important it is for Australia's economy and um, there's a lot of things that we wouldn't have had today if it wasn't for an income that came into our our Australian economy I mean the Australian economy is just like mum and dad going to work isn't it so you know whether it's mum or dad or individual going off to work bringing the money to um, run the household um, here's the mining industry which is providing a fair amount of liquidity to the Australian economy so we could have hospitals and roads and bridges and an air force or defense force I should say and um, it just goes on isn't it so um, and here we have um, the thermal and steaming coal, which is obviously coming from um, uh, central Queensland and also down in um, Illawarra, down in New South Wales. But, you know, at this moment of time in Australia, we don't have any nuclear power stations. We do have um, the um, hydro, but the coal stations are the ones that provide the base load, you know, for our generating electricity for... Um, of all things, electric cars. I mean, the electric cars would need to get charged. They need to have a base energy. It's not coming from the solar panels. It's not coming from wind farms. So um, <coughs> we need to have a look at that. Um, of course, coal, um, this particular coal is, is used for um, steel making. So, you know, people, I, I, you don't realize just how important this whole industry is. Um, gold, can't believe it. Yes, that's right. A lot of people don't realise that you need coal to make iron and steel. It's all part of the equation. Uh, we are a very mineral-rich lump of dirt here, beautiful lump of dirt. If we could only process it more here and keep it on shore, even better. Hmm. Yeah, I'm hearing you. So... Um extra i did some extra um what's the name here study and oh. i found that the mining industry brings in 455 billion dollars to the australian economy that's two-thirds of australia's export revenue so export revenue would be um the meat you know seafood wheat barley chickpeas um steel ingots aluminium ingots I mean, it's it's a, it's a massive industry it's really it's the uh, the goose that lays the golden egg that enables um, the Australian economy to um, you know get its buffer through um, our society, but that's the federal government up here. But then we move into the individual states, and I was quite gobsmacked just how much money these um, individual states make from charging the mine industry and what they call royalties. You know, so um, yeah, in Queensland. Uh, 21.5 billion just for coal and 5.8 billion for LNG. So, um, you know, and then all of a sudden now we're seeing West Australia is making some money out of the lithium mines, you know. Uh, you know, you just, you just can't understand why sometimes the greenies will go off and yet 
if they just look around and see their car and their mobile phone, um, their house and all the stuff that's on top of their roof or in the construction material, it's got to come from somewhere. I mean, I know that in um, mineral sands, for example, I know in Queensland there we had um, North Stradbroke provided a lot of um, rutile aluminite and um, zircon. And, of course, a lot of that product is used for paints and for um, welding rods and ceramics. Um, sometimes you just need to step back and sort of say, okay, how are we going to, how are we going to get money from Peter to pay Paul? And if there's no money coming from Peter, well, how Paul's going to survive? It's almost like when a, a relationship flutters and you've got to split the bloody assets and all that stuff, and who gets what? I mean, we're really in a state where you've got to start looking as the overall Australian economy and saying, oh, what can we do that's going to stimulate and maintain it? And I think you just said something before about can we get our resources and can we take it to the next level in processing and um, and perhaps even the old concept of Lang Hancock and Joby Jockey by putting that dual railway coming across the, um, from Queensland across the West Australia and then having um, an iron and steel plant uh, in both states. And one would look after the Pacific Ocean and the other would look after the Indian Ocean. Uh, anyway, I feel like I'm ranking one here. Sorry about that. Okay. So, yes, there have been people trying to do it, you know, um, but we just hear about it and it, it sort of fades off. I'm not sure they really want to push ahead with that. You know, our government really want to push ahead with that. Um, we're just sending all this beautiful product overseas and it gets transformed um, overseas. Excuse me. Um, we've got a bit of sinus. Um, so... Yeah, definitely got to keep that conversation alive. Yeah, so this is the annual revenue of the mining companies here in Australia. So um, this is the annual revenue. So, I mean, um, BHP and Rio Tinto, the major um, miners in Australia, obviously with the iron ore. Um, hmm. And also BHPs and a few other things with um, down there in the Olympic Dam down here in South Australia and of course um, there's your big Glencore. Oh yes, so I've really worked for, you know, BHP, Glencore, which used to be Extrata, Rio Tinto, McMahon and a couple of other little, oh just sorry, and, and uh, a couple of small um, mining contractors. But I'll tell you what, Gina Reinhardt really knows how to do things right. Um, I had the privilege of up in um, Hope Downs 1, up in the Pilbara. That was the first Rio Tinto site. And um, I actually had the privilege of um, seeing Gina Reinhardt's father's first shack, you know, where he'd do his call samples and his barbecue was still standing. And that was, that was a nice moment just standing there. And um, Gina Reinhardt, would, she, she would come to the camp occasionally and um, check that everything's pretty kosher. And that camp did run nice. So, uh, yeah, I'm just still waiting for Gina Reinhardt to come pick me up in a chopper and we're going out for a big lunch. As you would. Yeah, yeah. I see she um, owns Atlas um, as well. So another couple of miners there that she's got these little subsidiaries there. And fair play to her, you know. So um, Yeah. 
because quite often and in, in you look in the business world the first um initial um person who starts in her case her father lang hancock and then the second um, generation comes along and takes it even to another level again yes. and then it's the, third, the third generation no they go and spend it and so there's nothing oh. left after that's the third generation so yeah, see, Gina, she, she got it under her nails when she was young. She just had a passion for that dirt. I loved it too, you know. It can look so yummy sometimes just when the digger bucket's going down and pulling the earth up and you can tell the cream, you know. It just looks yummy. <laughs> Very good. Hey, um, now you... you you said something before, and I thought, well, people listening wouldn't understand what you just said. But um, in the in our radio station and our playlist, we play the binaural beats. <clears throat> so um, it's a frequency um, that comes out, and it sort of brings um, your whole body and state of mind back into alignment. So you said five two five two eight. So very interesting. So um, that would then suggest to me that when you get into your space, um, whether you're driving a truck. Um, or whether you come home, you might have that shower, and that shower gives you the negative ions, brings you back into balance, and then obviously it's it's like you do a, a meditation. And so, if you go to a meditation and they all say to you, "Listen, um, I just want you to put your feet in the ground. I want you to feel into the earth, and I want you to go down into Mother Earth." Um, naturally enough, <laughs> um, you're already there because that's the nature of who you are. You've driven down there. You've gone down the shafts. You've gone entered into Mother Earth. You've, you've seen what it's like. You've been in that mindset, um, and now you know you come to the surface. And well, you know, obviously, you could run meditation classes based on that. Oh, look, the sunrises. You get to see so many beautiful sunrises. You get to see so many beautiful sunsets. You'll be driving your truck up into the dump, dumping your load, and you'll get them, and it'll be like four o'clock in the morning. You've come off a, almost a week's night shift, and you're going, Hallelujah, that sun is coming up over Mother Earth, and she is just beautiful. You know, you get magic moments like that. Right. Mm. So now that you know what you know, what would you like to do if you're a, um, if you want to get a transfer or, or move it somewhere else within the mining industry? What would you like to do? Oh, okay. Um, I think there's um, there's always workplace health and safety, um, but then I'm really more interested in um, like a wellness manager, like how to. A lot of these young kids out there now, they don't know how to manage themselves. They can't even pack their own lunch, you know, or organise themselves um, or drink, know how to drink enough water, um, do some stretching exercises to keep a good, good strong physique. Um, you really need to stretch. You really need to drink water. You really need to remain focused. You've got to, you know, look after yourself inside and out think a lot of people who start off mining they I've seen them come in and they double in size you know because they eat too much camp food yeah yeah right. particularly after six weeks you'll see the the ass getting bigger all the pants getting tighter yeah because they're just eating too much because they think oh it's all free food 
Well, if you eat in the mess, right? If you eat in the mess, you look like a mess. Okay, gotcha. All right, so um, yeah, we've got in your um, at the top there, Julia Strand. We've got a LinkedIn there. So um, anyone who's in the LinkedIn um, fraternity, they can go in and see who you are, see your uh, credentials. You've actually done um, training as well. Um, and you didn't I hear you say that um, people wanted to get a um, a ticket for um, driving um, vehicles? You could give them some sort of uh, training on that. Is that is that what you said? Uh, no, I've done that in the past in Toowoomba um, in Sybil, uh, but I'm not in Sybil now. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So. Um, these mining sites, I just want to ask you a dumb question because when you said you came back home and then you did all your banking and paid your bills, um, does that mean that these job sites don't have um, telephone reception, Wi-Fi reception? Or do they very have? poor. Yeah, no, very poor. It's very touch and go. Right. Okay, hence the reason you've got to get home and then start cutting all your, um, your bills and paying them out and getting set up. I mean, today, you know, yeah, go on. Sorry, Jeff, most men out there, they're, um, excuse me, I've got sinus. <laughs> um, back again. But most men out there, they have their wives home doing it, you know, like their handbrakes at home, <laughs> paying all the bills. But, um, no, yeah, I never had that luxury, so it's all on me. Yeah, um my mate and I went out to um, a place called Tara. It's out, out on the Darling Downs, out Toowoomba, Dolby, and then you carry out southwest. And um, the population increased for the the um, camel racing and the abbey racing. And um, mm -hmm. trying to get online to um, make phone calls, texting, or even take photos or videos and, and put it up on Facebook. No, nah, the whole system has sort of crashed. Um, and yet uh, today on the radio station, uh, um, we got notified of um, an event that happened down in Melbourne last weekend with a particular singer who came in and filled out the Melbourne cricket ground. And um, over three concerts, uh, 35 terabytes, terabytes of video was put up on the internet. And if you put that and got all that together and laid it all out, That'd be equivalent to 1.7 years of video constantly going around in the loop, and that was just sheer volume of people coming online and, and um, filming. And so, um, so uh, yeah, so people in the in the city seem to get really well looked after and pampered, as opposed to um, those people in the regional areas of Australia. Yeah, look, even just to make a dentist appointment, you know. It's tough. Even just make a phone call. You see guys walking around camp, oh, excuse me, and they're trying to, to get reception. I've got sinus, so I've got to blow my nose sometimes. Sorry. <laughs> right. So um, would you, now that you've had this conversation, um, would you know what you know? Would you enter in the mining industry? I mean, or would you say, here's my list of what I um, would like in terms of um, boxes that I need to tick? And, and it seems to me 
having the airfares accommodation, oh, sorry, airfares paid for and having permanent accommodation where you know that your particular room will always be your room, um, having top quality phone reception, um, having the meals that are going to be healthy, the water being healthy, um, and um, of course, the pay would have to be of some recompense because it doesn't sound like the, the mines are really doing the recompense anymore. You might as well just stay in the cities or regional towns and it sounds like you're getting more uh, a lifestyle choice between life, work, and, and yeah, well, that's basically what I'm saying, getting a life, yeah. Okay, so basically there's no lifestyle. You know, it's best if you're you've got a an end date. You know, um, excuse me, I've got a runny nose. Um, oh, um, look, you can have all your boxes to tick. Really, you're going to tick them all. Okay, it's good to set a precedence and and look for those things, but you really have to tick all the boxes. Um, if I, ha when I was waiting, when I moved out to Mount Ostafa, I was working in an office shop kind of thing, um, you know, stationery shop, and an old timer miner from MIN, Mount Isa Mines, walked in, and I had a chat to him, and I asked him where he worked. He worked in mines. How long for? Oh, about twenty years. And I said, would you go and do it again? And he goes, yeah, I would. I don't. Right. So that's exactly how I feel. Right. Okay. Very good. Right. Well, um, if we want to wind it up, or is there a question that I haven't asked you that you you think that might be important to be said? Um. Yeah. Go out on a limb. It's a great way to see Australia. You meet some fantastic people. You meet some assholes too. Stay away from the assholes. <laughs> right. All right. Well, it's been um, our pleasure. And um, once again, for the people who have just come on, um, Andrean has been crook um, in the sense really that it's just been myself and Julie today, the two Js. Um, and with a bit of luck, uh, well, she will be back on top. Uh, and we'll see her next week. But uh, Julie's um fantastic it was real eye-opener um listening to oh, um, the mines and um both underground and uh, in the open cut and above ground and all the different um minerals that australia gets involved and how important it is to our lifestyle and how those different um products get um broken down and crushed and then turned into different products that we end up using so um thank you once again thank you jeff Right, well, just stay with me and um, I'll just.